It's time for e-commerce explored. Time to explore deep into a tricky e-commerce topic. We're here to help you overcome your e-commerce growth barriers. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this live. Yeah, we're live with you for this session, this live Q&A session that rounds off the quite phenomenal few weeks we've we've spent doing our Overstock's Problem event. Um, it has been a phenomenal. I've learned so much over the last few weeks, and I hope you all have too. For those of you who've tuned into this live bit, because we kind of, this is available out in the wilds, I'm going to do a couple of quick slides to run through, and then I get, get the panellists up to answer those questions. So just what is this overstocks problem I'm talking about? Well, nearly half of all e-commerce brands have overstock they are desperate to offload. One fifth of the average brand's inventory is currently overstock. That is based on uh, data from Inventory Planner's post-peak season excess stock guide that came out earlier this year. And it's certainly something I'm hearing about as I'm talking to brands. It's certainly something that seems to be happening across the whole industry, seems to be happening across the whole industry. There is this problem that people have got these mounds of stock that they have built up for various reasons. And there's that crisis of, well, one, how do we turn that back into, into cash in order to be able to do all the great marketing we want to do? quick and clear it quickly but also how do we avoid hitting that problem in the future which is what we focus the event on going through each of these sessions I did an introduction to the overstock problem uh, and then in each of the other sessions we had two experts coming in to give you their perspective so we went through, through it from how to clear the excess stock to your existing customers, how to clear your excess stock elsewhere without selling it to landfill. We did how to forecast better to avoid those future overstocks. Is the solution in the returns data? Spoiler alert, yes, quite a lot of the solution is. Um, and do we need a more radical solution to the overstock problem as where we kind of took overstock problem as where we kind of took it to the nth degree? We covered a lot. This um, session we're doing right now is going out live onto LinkedIn, YouTube and Twitter. So if you're out there watching us live and you are part of the event, awesome. Get your questions in now. You can submit them via whatever thing is near you and those will magically come through to me and I will relay them to our panellists. If you, you're going, what on earth is this event thing? And you just stumbled across this video, this live session, then, well, please ask your questions too. We'd still love to hear from you. And if you go to ecmp.info forward slash overstock, use that short link and you can magically get access to all those replays and the replay of this session completely for free. So that's ecmp.info forward slash overstock to get access to our whole event. Um, so go and do that. Go and, go and, go and do that. Go and, go and binge all of those. But for now, hang out with us and be here for the questions. And hello, Edward. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Great to have you over there. Feel free to send me, um, send us some questions if you've got some as we go. Right. In this session, I, it's not just me talking at you. We've got some excellent panellists. So let's bring them up on the screen so they can all say hello to all of you and also tell you a bit about themselves too. Um, let's, let's, go, um, let's go lovely clockwise. So Matt, could you please let everyone know who you are, uh, where you're from and, um, and yeah, just introduce yourself to the, uh, to the viewers please. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me today, Chloe. Um, it's a pleasure to speak with you guys and obviously field some questions from the audience. Um, I work for a company called Returnalize, and we're uh, an AI-driven returns analytics platform uh, based out of Boston. And we work with companies. Our mission really is to our mission really is to give our partners the true control over their returns, right? And so we do that by looking at data, right? And data as it relates to products, customers, and suppliers. And we truly try to help them transform their business for the better and truly look at the data that's behind returns in order to get them to a better state. Simple as that. Um, and sticking on the returns theme, Ronald, could you please introduce yourself as well? Yeah. Hey, Ron. My name is Ronald Dodd. Um, I've been in e-commerce pretty much my whole career uh, for about maybe 12 years now. Um, had an e-commerce marketing agency for eight or nine years called Visiture, and we were acquired in 2021. And during my time there, I just found out how big of a pain point returns were for our uh, paid media performance. <laughs> Very difficult to perform on the, the media side when we had so many returns um, and just fear of sizing in, in the apparel industry. So my next adventure was to solve that. And our team at Real and our team at Reallift has built a really great web application that allows shoppers to find the right size by body measuring them when they spin in their mobile device and tell them the right size to buy and evaluate everything from like fabric dimensions, uh, size charts, uh, user-generated content, and more to help shoppers find the right size. So less likely to return a product and more happy and more willing to buy online. So um, anyone watching who's got returns questions, we've got two experts here. So definitely yeah. send those in. Um, and last but definitely not least, um, Rosie, please intro yourself Hi. to our audience. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Rosie. I'm the CEO and founder at Nibble. I, unlike Ronald, have not spent my whole life in e-com, but I have spent a substantial portion of my life negotiating deals and doing negotiations. And what Nibble does is it brings negotiation to your website, which you may think is a surprising and different thing to do. But of course, eBay has been having make an offer function for, for many, many, many years, but for many, many, many years and showing us that it improves conversion. And we are all about using AI to scale that on your website so you don't need to have a human to human negotiation. So what we're finding is the big problem that we're helping customers solve is when you're a retailer and you've got too much stock and you want to clear that, you can negotiate the clearing price without having to put yourself 70% off. And so most of our clients are using us to avoid a race to the bottom on discounting. So we allow you to promote, but at a price that delights you and it delights your customer. Which is just a brilliant way of getting some of your marketing materials back to go, oh, actually, let's talk about something other than discounts, which is always, always a good thing when you're a retailer. Right. Um, I mentioned that we've been running this event for a couple of weeks now, nearly two months. And the idea for this kind of struck me almost December time. I think we came up with the idea for doing I think we came up with the idea for doing the event and a lot of water has gone under the bridge in those couple of months. So um, and you, you guys get to talk to far more retailers than I do. Is the warehouse full of excess stock still a problem right now? Are people managing to clear it? Is it getting a bit better? Can we all now really switch our focus to the solving it in the in the solving the future or avoiding the future overstocks? Or is the industry very much still in this? There's a mountain of boxes I need to get out of this warehouse and turn back into cash. Um, Rosie, you're, you're nodding. So I'll come to you first on this one. 
So one thing we're saying, because we we deal in promotions, right? So so one thing we're saying that I can be categoric about because I know because I see it is that retailers started in January. And I think all of them found their finance director said, you know, all of that discounting you did to try and clear the stock last year, you've scuppered margins and we've got to get the profitability back. We've got to get the profitability back this year. And so what we saw is significant discounting to clear stock in November, December time or gifting or Black Friday. And we saw people start in January saying, I'm never going to discount more than 10%. And that was the average across all of our retailers of the maximum discount that people were willing to offer. In February, it went to 11 and in March, it went to 13. And and so what it is, is is this collective like loss of, um, if you like, confidence that you can still drive really, really strong margins. But what's really interesting that we can see that most other people can't see is we can see what the customers are saying at that point when they're trying to negotiate a deal. We can see Basically, they'll say, I'll walk away unless I can get 30% off or I'll walk away unless I can get 20% off or whatever. And we can see that that walk away number is coming up to meet you. And so the one thing I would, and so the one thing I would say is don't over discount. Keep your nerve because what we're seeing is customer behavior is actually stretching back from these really deep discounts to needing maybe only a nudge, you know, maybe 12% off, not 25%. It differs by sector, but I definitely think that people are starting to feel more realistic, maybe. And whether that goes to solving the overstock or not, I can't be categoric, but it feels to me like it's normalizing. And the only thing I would say is, as a brand owner, don't keep racing to the bottom because you don't need to. Your your brand can sustain it. It's, it two things in particular strike me from what you just said there, Rosie. One is that it started in January at just a 10% discount because that felt felt quite small. That's definitely indicative of stop discounting messages <laughs> being said at board level. Um, but also, I would also infer that as it's gone, also infer that as it's gone from, I think you said 10 to 11 to 13 as the months have gone by, that there is still plenty of stock that needs to be, be cleared because if it had all gone in January, we wouldn't be doing this. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Matt, Ronald, you, you sit um, kind of, Rosie's at the front trying to sell the stock. You guys are mainly at the back trying to deal with the stock that's coming back into the warehouse. Are you, do you get any visibility of, of how the overstock effect is, um, is how this overstock situation is affecting people? Is it going down? Is it going up? And also you're on the opposite side of the planet to myself and Rosie. Yeah. Matt, you I look mean, like you're ready to answer. What I can add is, you know, I, I can tell like over the last I don't know. Like if you look at like Q4, right? At when when we start engaging with brands and retailers, it's definitely top of mind and they know they're running into a situation that's going <laughs> to dramatically build in Q1, meaning January, February, March. And over the last this past quarter, we've just been at the past quarter, we've just been at a feverish pitch talking to uh brands and retailers. I mean, I think because they've seen kind of that that push in Q4 and now they're sitting on the, all the inventory. Now they're like, all right, how are we going to basically manage our returns? And that obviously plays into overstock. So from my standpoint, we're seeing that it's still an issue and it's actually still uh, top of mind for a lot of the merchants and a lot of the buyers that we're working with. Ronald, do you think you've, you seeing the same as Matt and do you think the returns side of things is kind of like an indicator of a, of an overstock issue? 
Yeah, I think it is. And I, I think we, I alluded to this in a little bit. You know, when I went into, you know, starting Real Left, I always thought, you know, our goal is to reduce returns. But I think returns is really the voice of the consumer saying, you didn't give me a good product or service. Um, and I think there's been so many advancements with um, e-commerce in general and the customer experience. You know, I logged on to a shoe brand. You know, I logged on to a shoe brand today. And by the way, I need to preface this. My experience is only with apparel brands. So I'm, I'm really kind of just segmented into that space. So just take it with a grain of salt. Um, but, you know, they're doing virtual try-on for their shoes now. I mean, when was that available? Five or six years ago, right? So as technology advancements increase and as we become better, giving a better customer experience and we provide more data onto what do shoppers want? <laughs> you know, overstock should go down. And so I think, you know, brands that I see have made a lot of big digital transformation efforts into understanding inventory, understanding personalization, delivering a better product to the shopper, which, you know, is going to reduce, you know, overstocks, even with the very uh, easy return policies that brands are really forced into giving now because, you know, competing with Amazon, the other marketplaces. Yeah. I think um, I was at a dinner with some CEOs, small to mid-sized businesses about two weeks ago. And although it didn't come out all in one go, I can tell you there wasn't a go. I can tell you there wasn't a single CEO who didn't have too much stock. But what was different is they all had too much stock, but how they characterized it was different, right? So mm -hmm. the person who was selling seasonal goods for your garden, uh, who basically is expecting another shipment for his peak season, same for bicycles is like, gosh, I better clear this quite aggressively. Otherwise, there's li literally not room in my warehouse. But there was someone else selling, frankly, premium apparel to, um, uh, I don't know how to say this correctly, ladies over 50, let's say, who like... <laughs> A mature market. <laughs> they're not that mature, right? I'm not far <laughs> off it myself, right? Um, uh, and, um, <laughs> they might even think I'm really young. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so I didn't want to say that. Actually, I was thinking myself, not anyone else. Um, uh, but but you know, but people who like, um, if you like, slightly less fashion, more consistent. I, I, I'm not in the fashion industry. I don't know what this, the 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 always on the 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 always on nice black shoes for a smart outfit outfit that classic. kind of thing. I think classic, classic would be the word. I don't know, Ronald. What would you say the word is for that? Uh, I don't know if I want to say it or get into I'm it. Digging <laughs> myself in a hole. Distinguished, um, elegant. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm losing you all. I don't want to go. But, <laughs> but, but they were saying they they're not in a rush. Do you know what I mean? And and mm -hmm. I think it really depends on what your cash position is, right? That was a privately owned business. It, I mean, obviously, he'd prefer not to have it all in a warehouse, but he wasn't going to damage or sully his brand by throwing it all out there to the wolves. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Right. Sorry, go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll go. Sorry. Rosie, you make a great point. It also depends on the brand. You know, if they can hold inventory for a certain collection of, you know, apparel for a year and they can still sell it within the next year, that's great. But there's so many also fast fashion brands that, you know, might have styles that go in and out within 30 days and then they can't do any days and then they can't do anything with those stock products. And they don't even really offer great return policies because of that. Because if they get their turn, then they just have to throw it away. So I think it really depends on the industry and the brand. Yeah, I, I was just going to add, Ron, like, you know, when you talked about data, really, you know, looking at returns is more of like a, a source of information from your customer, right? I mean, we're working with a lot of our partners right now to help iterate their products, right? And so if you see a product being returned at a high rate, evaluating the return reason, right? And then looking at materials, looking at heel height, looking at what's basically driving those returns. 
working with the product development team and saying, hey, you probably need to adjust this under the armpits. You need to adjust this in the last, maybe adjust this material, which allows them to iterate their products, which decrease their returns, which in turn basically reduces that overstock. And so looking at returns is more of a, a benefit versus a negative. I know it's weird to say, but actually just they, but actually just gaining intel and, and information from your returns is so critical for a lot of these businesses to evolve and transform. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. brings us on quite nicely to um, to some of the trends that having, how, as I was putting together the, the, you know, the event, there were some trends that came out of it, which I was not anticipating. And then I put them in the very first session that I did for, for the event. And one of the biggest trends, or actually, I guess, the two, the three trends were, let's, let's not leave everyone hanging on what were the three trends. Three trends were number one, data. <laughs> Rosie's getting excited. So number one, data. Number two, collaboration between different teams. So merchandising, marketing, warehouse, returns, etc. all collaborating. And then thirdly, a return to first principles. So basically, we need to be better buyers. We should be better merchandisers. We need to be better marketers. And that that seems to be it's something I'm 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 now realizing is happening throughout the realizing is happening throughout the industry, not just in our little overstocks arena. But the the point I wanted to pull out of that, which you were bringing us into, Matt, is that data we have within the business all the data that we we need we're just making bad use of it so we if we are actually paying attention to our returns data we can reduce this season's overstock by not rebuying the stuff we shouldn't and we can create better products for next season which will reduce overstock in and of itself and reduce returns as well and as rosie was saying if we're listening to what the customers are saying we're not giving away too much margin because that's kind of you know the fundamental problem with overstocks is where your cash is sitting and how much of that cash you can use to generate profit so it seems like certainly i took from the event that that data getting to grips with our data putting it in a usable format and then actually using it is a is a crucial part across i th- i i would go so far as to predict that is going to be or to predict that is going to be a make or break over the next 10 years. I think we're in the middle of a big pivot in the industry. Um, Matt, you brought data up um, first of all, so I'll come to you first on this one. Is that something you're seeing as well? Do you think that getting to grips with your data from all its various sources is going to be crucial as we go through the coming decade? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I think, to be honest, the challenge is to being honest with yourself as a company too, right? Because I think if you look at I mean, we've talked about this, Chloe. It's like the marketing groups, all right, we're going to open up and we're going to basically push this pink jumpsuit, right? Well, the pink jumpsuit sells like crazy. And they're like, great, we won. We're going to leave with more products like this. But the back end of this is all of a sudden you got a 60% return rate. Right? So if you look at the net result, it's a really bad situation. And, you know, from customer experience to return uh, purchase intent, like all these things play into it. And I think the more honest that marketing and sales can be in operations overall with their turns, it'll overall with their turns, it'll truly help change the the dialogue with returns being negative and more of like a, a positive strength for the company. Right. And I think, um, you know, one of the things we're seeing are people want to ha- handle returns, right. But there's no chief revenue officer, right. I mean, chief returns officer right now, basically it's so compartmentalized. And when people do want to take over, you got to talk to the operations. You got to talk to customer experience. And you got to talk to e-commerce, and no one truly owns it. And so, they're having some conversations about it. But there's no true stakeholder. So, 
identifying a true stakeholder within the company that can take action is brilliant, right? And that's where, that's one of the things we offer at Returnalize is we have an entire customer success team that not only, not only is looking at your data, but also telling you what you need to do every two weeks. And so we're meeting with the teams and saying, hey guys, you're going to bleed out, you know, $400,000 on this one dress if you don't make an adjustment on your website or go talk to your supplier. So it's talk to your supplier. So it's those types of little things that we're seeing as like huge benefits for looking at data and taking action on it. Yeah, I would I would definitely make a play for that chief returns officer being in the buying, merchandising or marketing sectors rather than being in the warehouse. Um, but I think often pe- people think about the physical part of the returns or the financial part of it rather than the, the bigger, bigger piece. Um, Rosie, Ronald, any thoughts on that? The, da- the big data, not big data, but the big data trend taking us back about five years in trends there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just want to have one point because I think Rosie and Matt are well more qualified than me to answer this. But um, I, I agree, there's so much data are disposable now with technology where, you know, we could get ask a lot of questions during the term process. Um, and then we could triangulate that, as Matt said, and, and make better decisions from purchasing and, and, you know, planning strategy on products, you know, et cetera. But I think one, et cetera. But I think one thing that I think a lot of merchants miss is, the chances of that shopper coming back after the return product is very unlikely. <laughs> I think it's, I've seen different states from like 30% to 70%, less likely that shopper will not come back. And if you calculate that based on your percent of media spend, that could be 15, 20% of media spend of the shoppers that are converting, not coming back over to your site again, you know, and in parallel, you know, repeat customers are just the lifeline, the you know lifeline of any business. So I think it's, you know, to Matt's point, like the chief returns officer, it should be more seen as like a chief retention officer too, because it, the less returns you have, the more repeat customers you're going to have, the more word of mouth marketing you're going to have, you know? And so it's really, really paramount to look at that data. It's not as just as a cost reduction engine, but as a growth engine for the, for the merchant as well. I love yeah, that. No, no, right. I mean, that's, that's so spot on. I mean, we're, we're really truly diving into a lot of the, the marketing teams uh, for our clients because of that same thing, right? Clients because of that same thing, right? It's like, it's not the value of the return that's hitting them, but it's also the customer acquisition costs and then a zero LTV on the back end. And it's like if you have a if you have a return on your first purchase, I mean, we've seen stats as high as 80 percent that they're not going to purchase from you again. Right. And it's because the brands are unique. Right. They want their own style. They want their own cut. They want their own sizing, which is basically leading to these situations where obviously, Ron, that's where you guys come in. But it's also, you know, feeding the bad first time customer experience situation. Um, so yeah, it's spot on, Ron. Yeah, agree. It's it, it, everything is just getting rightly so interwoven now to hit these, to hit these profit numbers. Um, Rosie on the data front, you're obviously slowly sitting on top of as a bigger data set as um, Matt and Ron are in the, in the return space. Are you finding that, retailers are more interested in leveraging that data in leveraging that data than they have been previously you know so knowing that consumers are starting to ask for less discounts as this year's running on and and taking advantage of that um perhaps controversially i I think people are still quite tactical um and i think they want to say they've made data-driven decisions but honestly i think a lot of people are quite emotive and they make a decision and then they back justify it on the data um uh, perhaps i'm a bit controversial but it's what i see 
No, I think I think you're probably absolutely spot on. I think, you know, for me, one of the, the big issues is people are not using the data and not actually making those decisions and not building on it. So, no, I, li- I don't think you're being too controversial. I think you're being being honest, which is always yeah. good. And I also think that some small businesses struggle to have the right expertise. You know, like there is certain people who, who are nimble with data and find it very easy to very easy to drive messaging out of it. It's something I'm challenged with. We're a small business and I, for my sins, I have a maths degree and I like data and I like numbers and I think like that. And I've got lots of really smart people building really, really clever technology in our organization who can't for the life of them take the data and explain a story. And, and actually spinning stories out of data is such a fantastic skill and um and arguably not something that technology is doing very well yet well it's, it's also one of those things you you often end up with the person put in charge of cor- corralling the data from all the different sources who doesn't actually know how to interpret it or they can find interesting mm. data things but not things that are relevant in the business which i think it's why we we come into this whole collaboration piece but before we dive into our next question um if you are watching Please send us your questions. I suggest you get them in pretty soon because we're only going to be alive for about another we're only going to be alive for about another 10, 15 minutes, which means I only have so much time to ask the questions. So if you've got a burning question, please do submit it via whatever chat button is via wherever you're watching. And I will do my best to get it answered by our experts. Of course, if you're just enjoying the chat, then uh, you know you don't have to send us a question. But if you've got one, now would be a great time to send it to me. Um, collaboration. We've been talking about it already, really. Um, you know, Matt saying about how there's, you know, if you haven't got that key stakeholder, you're not working on it across the business, it's not happening. Um, Rosie's saying about how, you know, you've got to have the right people interpreting. It's probably a bit too obvious to turn into a question, but I guess is there anything any of you would like to add on the need for the greater need for collaboration in, in e-commerce in 2023? I will let you're allowed to say no, but or you can um, Rosie's unmuted, so I'm guessing Rosie definitely wants to answer this one. <laughs> I've said it already, but I'm, I'm loving my own line. I think 2023 is the year of the finance. 23 is the year of the finance director. And I have actually a background in finance, and I have a deep respect for people in finance. And finance actually is the function that looks after all of these different things, right? Like returns and merchandising, and it's where it all joins together. And I would love to see 2023 being the year of the finance director, because I said this and I know Ed was on the call and he was on the call when we coined this phrase together, actually. <laughs> but it kind of really I mean, brings why it he's all just together, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it really, it, and, and, and it's just getting people to talk that same language without everybody switching off. Yeah, I think having worked before I, I, I became a podcaster, I worked in a marketing agency for 10 years where we did quite a few launches of e-commerce for existing high street brands and other bits and pieces. And within that that time, and with my own time being client side, I my own time being client side, I worked with some amazing finance directors and some terrible finance directors. And the impact a great finance director can have on a retail business is phenomenal and phenomenally freeing, actually, for the teams. I think a lot of people think, oh, God, the finance director, nightmare. But actually, if they're doing their job well, 
and they, they've got that business savvy within them. And it can be hugely freeing for the business and it can help put in place all these things we've been talking about. Um, Matt, Ronald, what do you think? Year of the finance director or any other collaboration tips you've got you'd like to share? But like I said, we can we can skip on to the next question if this is just too obvious. You go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll go back to what we're seeing in the return space, right? It's a bunch of silos, right? And there's a lot of people that are looking at returns and they're all siloed. And when they do want to talk together, they're basically pulling multiple spreadsheets and it's just a big spreadsheets and it's just a big conundrum for them. These guys to have to work through, right? And so if you have that one central figure, whether it's CFO, you know, chief returns officer, whoever it may be, and they, but, but they obviously need to be data driven, right? It's all about data, right? And if they can actually make use of the numbers, and be able to utilize the stories and what the data is telling you into actionable items, then it's a win. Um, but again, I think majority of the companies that are out there are still siloed in the way they're looking at returns and how it's impacting their business. Yeah, I, I agree with Rosie. It, it's funny, ever since the iOS changes, uh, I feel like so many e-commerce merchants have really been focused on profitability. Um, you know, and finance is key in that understand how to be a more profitable, sustainable business. I've you know seen and talked to many merchants that were considered very high growth e-commerce merchants that are really focused on profitability now and sustainability with their business model. And so I think we've seen a big and so I think we've seen a big kind of you know um, mature materialization of e-commerce in general. But on the flip side, you know, even in apparel, only 70% apparel sales are online. So I think there's a lot of dry powder that can be targeted. It's just how do we do that? And I don't think we can just rely on pumping more money into the media campaigns. We need to really focus on building a better experience, giving people all the products that they want that fit well. Um, and ultimately, that's just going to drive more encouragement for sales online. So it'll be exciting for these next couple of years. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. And I think um, I think what you just said there, Ronald, kind of sums certainly sums up the how to avoid future overstocks is to actually make the products the customer wants in the volume they want them i mean revolutionary clay (laughs) this is we we did the last session of the event was uh, you know do we need to rewrite the e-commerce business model and i had two amazing ladies joining me for that session who who have very different angles on very different angles on uh, angles which which you know kind of come together that you know they're not opposed to each other but two very different approaches to building a better um, business model which is better fitted for making profit is better fitted for not creating products that end up in landfill and uh, essentially you know the fundamental is don't buy product you can't sell um, whether that's like a pre-order model or whether that is getting much better at actually in the you know in the case of fashion designing clothes that are going to fit and look great on the majority of your customers which for anyone outside the industry, what do they not do that already? The great majority don't, unfortunately. Um, sorry, if, if you're in fashion and you do, get in contact. I want you on the podcast. But everyone else, let's, let's be honest, we, we don't. The pink jumpsuit example that Matt gave, very few of us, me included, can wear any jumpsuit and certainly not an electric pink one. But it looks good on the model. Um, well, before I go on to that rant, where was I going? Oh, yeah, I know I was going to Was I going? Oh, yeah, I know I was going to do. So we're in this space and we're going to come up to my final question here. We're in this space where there's huge amounts changing in the industry for lots of different reasons. And the overstocks crisis is one of those reasons it's happening. 
each of you come at this from from a different angle, different sectors of the of the industry, uh, different types of merchants that you're working with, different countries. For a retailer who wants to finish this year on a high, and we're recording this in April 2023, for a retailer who wants to look back in January 2024 and go, yes, we made the right decisions at the beginning of the year to set us up for success as the year went on, what would you be advising them to do at the moment? Is it about the marketing? Is it about changing to collaboration? Is it about data? Is it simply about putting in place a better return system or using your returns data or getting cleverer with your discounting? Um, you all look like you're really thinking hard. So I'm going to continue waffling mm, a little bit, continue waffling mm, a little bit. That's before quite I a hard question, <laughs> isn't it? It is. I think it comes down to true ownership, right? I mean, these companies have to have a stakeholder, right? And that stakeholder has, whether it's the CFO or chief returns officer, again, it's got to be someone who owns the process internally and is truly looking at it. And again, I'll talk from a return standpoint alone is, is really looking at returns in its multifaceted ways, right? How it's going to, how it's going to impact marketing, how it's going to end up product development, obviously the bottom line, your sustainability goals, even operations and saving operation hours, like looking at this from a holistic standpoint and basically having someone that can take control and then disseminate the information also like how to go about it, right? And who's going to own it. And I think in that, that'll be the true opportunity for people to avoid high return rates and then obviously overstock. And I think globally, right? I mean, we're in this major, I mean, we're in this major consumption phase, right? Where everyone's consuming, consuming, consuming. We're all guilty of it, right? But I think until you kind of change that consumer mindset into, I don't need to buy what I need, right? And that's when everything kind of switches uh, to basically a better overall e-commerce world, a better world from a sustainability standpoint. And it basically changes the dynamic on how we purchase, right? That's a long, long, way away. But I think the more we talk about sustainability and the more people and consumers are looking at brands that are talking about sustainability and what they're doing to reduce their impact on the planet, that's growing, right? People are looking at that more. And I think that's a positive sign on getting to a better place as far as overstock and as far as how we're preventing things to get into a landfill in the first place. Great okay. answer. Thank you, Matt. Um, who wants to go next? I'll go next. Okay. I think it's the person who focuses on their most di- person who focuses on their most difficult customer. Because mm. I think it will make you focus, and then everything else will come easy. And I think for many of the brands I speak to, their most difficult customer is the younger generation, and I think the younger generation is the most demanding. They want a very seamless technological experience. They want genuine messaging. They want they want sustainability. I'm sorry, I'd like to believe they need it, but I don't think it's the only thing. Um, and and they and that is where you will differentiate because if you please your younger, more discerning customer, everyone else will be happy to. You know, it's not like um, it's not like older generations don't look at TikTok. They do. It's not like older generations don't use mobiles to do shopping. They do. It's just they've got used to all the old ways. And so if you keep optimizing the old ways, optimizing the old ways, um, you'll, you'll maybe win in that very crowded competitive space. But if you win with that younger, more discerning customer, and for you, it might be an older, younger customer because that's where you focus. And for some people, it might be a very, truly very young customer. 
but you you focus on that really discerning customer and you win with them you'll win with everyone else i love that but i have i have to say rosie um not to take anything away from your answer which was excellent i did when you first said that i was imagining you know that woman that the whole of customer services know the number of <laughs> you know or, or the guy who like everyone goes they see the number flash up on the screens and everyone pretends to be doing something else i was, I was thinking, thinking that that one individual nightmare i was going i get it i get it but then you know that that customer segment the most difficult one even better um but yeah if you if you can can you know look after your most demanding individual customer or group of customers definitely a good way to focus definitely a good way to focus the mind set the bar high everybody um ronald your thoughts yeah i think i would do just something one thing experiment one thing this year with machine learning or ai and there's so many cool technology companies not even just real if there's so many in sizing that are competitors that do a lot of great stuff with ai machine learning um, that's where the future is going. It's how we make this whole experience better. I even check out Rosie Nibbles, Nibbles and uh, Maisie Technology. I wish you, that was on the site when I just bought my uh, my uh, wood pellet grill. I would have definitely went in there and be like, what's the best you can do? <laughs> You're really There's good so at surfboards. I'm looking at Matt's surfboard, like like negotiating a good price. I mean, like, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, get, yeah. Let me know if you get a surfboard company so I can go try to get a good price on one of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's just so much cool technology out there. And I think it's just almost criminal for not experimenting and trying new things and trying things out to give the shopper the best out to give the shopper the best experience possible. Because ultimately, unless you are incredible at influencer marketing TikTok, you're probably using the same channels to acquire customers. And the only way to grow is provide a better user experience that really helps the word of mouth marketing. And it, and really what I've seen, the fastest growing companies in the um, apparel space from like Viore, 5.11 Tactical or more, they have very low return rates, you know, very low, um, sub, you know, 8%, you know, and because they're providing really fantastic products uh, for their shoppers. Um, and ultimately, that's the best way to grow is their word of, word of mouth marketing and organic. Yeah, I think um, I like your, your tip about the AI side of things in there as well, because I think it's... Um... I've been in the industry long enough now to see lots of like newfangled stuff arrive. And as it arrives, everyone goes, it's going to be great at this and it's going to be great at this and it's going to be great at that. And then 12 months later or 18 months later, when the retailers, the brands, you retailers, the brands, you guys watching right now, when you get your hands on it and you actually pick the winners because they're the ones that actually work and they're never what you think they're going to be. You know, when everyone started talking about AI a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have thought negotiation would be one of the winners. But as Rosie and the team at Nibble are proving, it is. And actually, most of this, the really sexy stuff that AI is doing is the stuff that's happening in the back end with the parcels and the products, not less so the stuff that's happening on the front end of the website. So I'm really fascinated to see in 12, 18 months time where AI is being used the most in our industry, because I don't think it's going to be copywriting. Just putting that out there. Um, Rosie disagrees. We, we may have no, that discussion no. later. We're passionate no. about copywriting. We <laughs> haven't found an automated copywriter that can beat our human copywriter that copyrights the copy and nibble. But um, Yeah, it's... We could, we could debate AI forever, but you guys haven't tuned in to debate for AI. So we're going to wrap up now. I'm going to ask each of, wrap up now. I'm going to ask each of, each of these marvellous panellists who spared their time today to talk about all of this, to let you know how you can get in touch with them if you want to find out more about them and their companies. Um, we'll go clockwise again. So Matt, I'll come to you first. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, anyone can reach out to me at matt.williams at returnalize.com. Uh, I'd love to hear, like, what are your issues? How are you guys tackling returns? Pretty sure we have a solution that you guys could uh, to look at. And we do offer like a 90-day risk-free trial. And so there's kind of a, a win-win for everyone who reaches out. So I'd love for you guys to reach out, chat about your returns, what you guys currently have in place, and see if we can help out. Marvelous. Thank you. And Ronald? Hey, everyone. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Ronald Dodd. I have a very unique last name, so it's very easy to find me, D-O-D. Uh, or you can email me at ron at getreallift.com. And also, I just saw that the Blue Salt episode went live, which is one of our merchant partners. So I'm excited to go listen to it after this. Yes, and thank you massively for the intro to Blue Salt. Amazing intro to Blue Salt. Amazing company. Very cool episode too. So great guest. Thank you. And um, anyone who's uh, doing Ronald's email address, it's Real Lift with just one L in the more in the middle. So just remember that. Um, and Rosie. Sure, you can get in touch with uh, me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you look for Rosie Bailey Nibble on LinkedIn, you will find me and I'm very responsive. Or if you want to find more about Nibble, nibble.shop. And if you fancy that you're an awesome negotiator, if you go there and click the demo link, you can fight Nibble to your heart's content. And I swear to God, it will make you smile. It should really make you happy. Um, and if you ever do want to meet me, I promise you a free negotiation tip for real life negotiations in every meeting. There we go. Well, Matt, Ronald, Rosie, thank you so much for coming and joining us for this session today. Everyone out there, thank you very much for joining us. And if you are watching us on uh, the on uh, the with the various places this is dotted around the internet and you haven't yet signed up to get the replays of all the amazing sessions we did with these three and um, our other experts, then you can find all of that at ecmp.info forward slash overstock. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to e-commerce explored the latest podcast from the e-commerce podcast network. If you've got an e-commerce topic you'd like us to explore in our next series, get in touch via ecommerceexplorer.com.